Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Welcome to Morning Moments with Maya. Conversations of love and laughter. The show where each week your host, social worker and certified humor professional, Maya Aziz, invites someone who is out there pushing the positive to join her for a heartfelt and often hilarious coffee conversation about love, laughter, leadership, and, well, life. Love and laughter might not cure what ails you, but they sure go a long way to getting you through those tough life moments. So sit back, pour yourself a cup, and get ready to laugh and learn today on Morning Moments. Look for the good. It is all around. It sure is. And good morning. This is Maya coming to you live from Montreal this November 6, 2016. I cannot believe that it is November already. I have to confess I'm a little bit in denial, but that's okay. The sun is shining and it is a great morning for yet another fabulous conversation. So earlier this week, I was chatting with a friend of mine who started a new job uh, sort of at the beginning of this year. And I hadn't seen her in a while. And so, of course, I asked her how things were going. And she answered pretty deadpan, I don't really know what I'm doing there. And me, in true form, launched into full support mode and gave a big pep talk about how that was completely normal, how it took time in a new job to know everything that you need to know to do the work and that it would come with time. And she just needed to give herself a break. But she cut me off. No, she said. I mean, I don't know what the hell I'm doing there. What's the point? Oof. Boy, could I relate. In almost every job that I've had, at some point, I have found myself glazing over in front of my computer screen or staring off into space while listening to a presentation in the boardroom. And as I find myself calculating the weekly waking hours spent at the office, I can actually physically feel resentment bubbling up and asphyxiating my dreams or the vision of what I thought my life would be. And many times I've joked with colleagues about giving up the rat race and opening up some quaint little chocolate or coffee shop. But then I stop to pick up my latte on my lunch break and I see that same familiar glassy look in the barista's eyes, the glassy glow of disengagement. In a recent survey of 12,000 employees done by the Energy Project on why so many people feel dissatisfied in their jobs, they found that 50% lack a level of meaning and significance at work. And employees who get a sense of meaning from their work are more than three times as likely to stay with their organizations, the highest single impact of any other survey variable that they tested, which means meaningful work is a more powerful factor than growth or advancement, belief in the company's mission, or even work-life balance. And not only does meaning influence retention, but employees who reported a sense of meaning at work also reported 1.7 times higher job satisfaction and were 1.4 times more engaged at work. So perhaps the answer is not in compressed work weeks or in-house Pilates classes, but in something more 
meaningful. Well, I'm convinced, but what does meeting at work even mean, and why does it matter so much? Well, thank goodness I have a guest with me today who is going to tell us all about it. Scott Mouts is a Procter & Gamble veteran who ran several of the company's largest multi-billion dollar businesses, including their single largest, a $3 billion division. He is an award-winning keynote speaker and the author of Make It Matter, How Managers Can Motivate by Creating Meaning, a book whose accolades include the 2016 Leadership Book of the Year First Runner-Up and a Best 30 Books of 2015. Scott teaches at Indiana University and has been named a Top 50 Leadership Innovator by Inc. Magazine, where he also writes a weekly column for the national publication. He's appeared in Harvest Business Review, Entrepreneur, and many other national publications and podcasts, including, as of today, joining us on Morning Moments. And how lucky am I to have this opportunity to speak with him. Scott, welcome to the show. Well, you're only as lucky as I am to be here. So uh, thanks for having me, Maya. I've been, I've been looking forward to this. And any show titled, you know, Moments of Love and Laughter can be a good thing. So I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So, Scott, I, I want to know, I mean, where does your interest and understanding of this topic of meaning at work even come from? I mean, is it something that you were always interested in or was there a moment in life or an experience that sparked it? Yeah, good question. I, I'm now on the hunt for those glassy-eyed baristas <laughs> that, you, <laughs> that you spoke of. Um, they're they're what keeps me going because, like you said, Maya, they they truly are everywhere. And my journey in, uh, I guess, in the expertise in the space of meaning, it, it probably started, I would say, about 15 years ago. Or you had, you had talked about how you were kind of in the boardroom and you get glassy-eyed and you're counting down, you're counting the hours that you're spending in there. I was at a point in my career, probably about 15 years ago, where, man, I was working so hard, like so many of us do. You know, I was putting in so many hours and yet having too many of those moments where I would come home and I'd put my bag down by the door after work and, you know, my wife would run up to tell me about her day and she would say, oh, my gosh, first I did this and, oh, and then I did that and, oh, oh, then you wouldn't believe, oh, hey, by the way, we've got to remember to pay the mortgage. Oh, by the way. Um, hey, you got to do this in the backyard next week. Oh, but and I'd be looking right at her, and you could interrupt me, and hand me a thousand dollar check and say, "How about you tell me one thing she just said?" And I couldn't do it. It's because I was still at work. You know, I was home, but I wasn't really home. I was having too many moments like that, and and this dawning sense of emptiness just kept growing stronger and stronger inside of me. Of, my God, I'm working so hard for what reason? And uh, right about that time, I got um, promoted. Yay, terrific. Yay, me. Except I found out I didn't care, and I thought mm-hmm. I would. I was certain that's why I was working so hard. That must be it, right? I, I'm, gonna, I'm working so hard to get promoted, to, to be able to make a little bit more money, have a little bit more power, feel a little bit more important. And that lasted for about two days, and then that empty feeling came back again of like, why am I working so hard? There has to be something deeper here. There has to be something more important than selling more of widget X than I did last year. And that really began um, kind of a a search for me for figuring out how to find a a deeper source of motivation. And that's where I really came into the concept of of meaning and 
started to really become um, incredibly interested in it and soon discovered that, as it turns out, much like you alluded to in your statistics in the opening of the show, Maya, that meaning really is what sustains motivation over the long haul. It, it really is. The, the data supports it tremendously. And so that's uh, launched me on a very exciting journey. Uh, Fifteen years later, where I've learned just about everything I think I can get my hands on, I read everything I can get my hands on, and become, um, uh, I guess I could say, a subject matter expert on meaning. I love that this sort of came from a, a personal place, and, and I, I truly believe that everybody has felt that at some point. Um, and yet, I'm not sure we really understand, um, you know, and I think the listeners out there all can relate to what we're talking about in terms of that sense of kind of what, what on earth am I doing here? Um, but can you maybe explain, so what is meaning at work then? What does that even, what does that even mean? <laughs> The, the the sense of meaning at work, yeah. Well, first of all, you know, I think an important thing to remember is that meaning starts with me for a reason. It has to be individual to you. No one can ascribe and tell you what should be meaningful to you at work. And uh, that's, that's a common misconception that, that many people have, that to find meaning at work, there's one answer to it. I've got to keep hunting until I find it. And then when I find it, I will reach the top of the mountain and ta-da, I found the answer. So let me begin the search. It doesn't really work that way. Uh, meaning can be many, many things to, to many, many people. So it's a complex question. When you ask me, what does meaning at work mean? First of all, it's very, a person, it's very personal. I think the most important thing to understand is at the core of meaning, you're really asking what deeply motivates me. And the, the science behind it is very clear that most of us mistakenly think, you know, if you ask managers, um, and I've done this many times, where I'll pull a, a room of a thousand people I'm giving a keynote to, and I'll have them write down, you know, what do you think it is that motivates us over the long haul? 80% of the people will answer one of three things. It's either perks, promotions, or pay. And uh, if I had uh, enough time, I could tell you stories in each one of those scenarios that says it's, it's actually none of those. What really motivates us over the long haul is finding a sense of meaning in our work. So to ask what it is meaning at work, it's, it's really what motivates us deeply at the most profound level. And uh, I've been able to, uh, through an awful lot of research behind this space, I've been able to pinpoint a couple of themes that I call the markers of meaning. And a marker of meaning is it's really the conditions that you can foster as an employee or as a boss that will facilitate meaning in and at work, meaning in the work you do at the place you do the work. So when you ask me what does meaning at work really mean, it comes to light when we can take these conditions and create them. And uh, with your permission, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a few examples of what I'm talking about when I say the markers of meaning, and it'll start to become clear. Please do. So, for example, uh, perhaps the most important marker meaning. So what does meaning at work mean? Well, first of all, it means doing work that truly matters to you. It's significant and makes a real impact on you, on the business, and on others. And we do work that matters when we're able to articulate and work with a sense of purpose. And I call purpose our profound why. It's the higher order. Why are we working so hard? That, that glassy-eyed barista, why, why is he or she working so hard to, to 
sling coffee for people in the morning? What's the real point behind that? When you can answer that question, and I'll come back to that later on how you can answer questions that deep and profound, you start to unearth meaning at work when you can really answer what is the purpose behind the very work I'm doing. The second way we do work that matters is when we can articulate what our legacy is. And our legacy, if purpose is the profound why, the legacy is the profound what. What do you want to leave behind that you could look on, look back on five to ten years later and say, you know what, I did that. That simply would not have happened if it were not for me. So when you can articulate your purpose and your legacy, you're doing work that matters. That's one of the forms of meaning at work. Another one is, is simply choosing to invest and demand your own personal learning and growth, which is incredible source of meaning uh, for people. And in fact, it's interesting, right? If you think back to a time in your career, and uh, I, I would hazard to guess that this is true for at least 90% of the people that I talk to. If you think back to a time in your career when you were least happy, there's a darn good chance that in that window, you weren't learning and growing. That uh, you found yourself wondering too often, am I wasting my time here? <laughs> am I literally wasting my time here? And scholars have long held that when we see ourselves as learning and growing and becoming a better version of ourselves, it's deeply meaningful. It leads us to a, another marker of meaning, another condition that, you, that creates meaning for you, which is when you work with an enhanced sense of competence and self-esteem, it's a tremendous source of, of meaning. I don't know, Maya, have you ever been in... Uh, places in your life where you didn't necessarily feel competent or your self-confidence was low? Has that ever happened to you in your, uh, in your career? I feel like that's a rhetorical question. Oh my goodness. All the time, every day. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. And, uh, and of course that's, that's exactly right. So you can imagine the opposite of that. When you feel like you're, you've mastered what you're doing, mm -hmm. when you feel like um, you're truly confident, it's an incredible sense of meaning. So when working with a sense of purpose, legacy, pursuing learning and growth, and I'll give just a few more examples of uh, how we find meaning in work, what I call the markers of meaning. Um, believe it or not, Maya, um, a uh, recent study by the Journal of uh, Psych uh, Psychology showed that the number one factor that most correlates with whether or not someone um, was happy in life and found meaning in their work and in their life in general, it wasn't based on their good looks or how much money they were making or their sex life or anything like that. It was all based on whether or not they could say they felt they had autonomy in their life, mm. a sense of control over the events in their life, a, a sense of space to do their own thing the way that they want, a sense to manage their life by objectives. turns out to be just as important for our happiness as anything else and just as important for meaning at work. So when you can, when you can create place if you're a boss for others that is rich with autonomy it is incredibly meaningful and again I, I offer you to, to think up um, of the opposite now this isn't rhetorical have you ever had the chance to work for a, a micromanager before Maya oh my goodness yes and yes now my heart's palpitating <laughs> as I do as I have flashbacks but yes <laughs> uh, I can assure you that most people have, but many, many people have it. And I can assure you that um, the reason why you've often heard, uh, you know, people don't leave jobs, they leave their managers. That's true 80% of the time. Well, the number one reason people leave their managers, which is 80% of the time um, that they do, is because they're being micromanaged. Well, why is that? 
That's because it's the opposite of feeling a sense of autonomy that you, you have your own agency, you have your own ability, your own, your, your willingness to do things the way that you see should be done. And it's exhilarating and it's wonderful when you're in that space and you can get that. That's yet another way um, that you can, uh, you can create meaning. And I'll, I'll pick out just, uh, just one more. Um, in my book, I talk about, in Make It Matter, I talk about seven different ways that you can create as an employee or as a, as a boss of others and facilitate um, environments that are rich in me. One, one last one that I'll pick out is working in um, the right culture. And there's lots of great cultures. There's cultures of innovation. There's cultures of, um, oh, my gosh, uh, you know, cultures of discipline. We could go on and on. They're all good. The distinguishing point I'm making is that the data shows there's three common attributes to cultures that are rich in creating meaning for people. And that's environments that are caring, authentic, and teamwork-based. So I, sometimes I call it the three carat, C-A-R-A-T, carat, caring, authenticity, teamwork, a little acronym to remember it by. But when you can show genuine and deep caring for your fellow worker, when you can be authentic and bring your whole self to work, and when you can work in a truly team-based environment, where you feel that sense of belongingness to, to other people, which is so fundamentally important to us as human beings, it creates rich and powerful cultures that are unbelievably meaningful to us. And in fact, another study um, out of Oxford University showed that the number one thing that most correlates to whether or not people can say, yes, I feel meaning at work is whether or not they can answer yes to the following question. Do you have a best friend at work? Not, are you making enough money? Not, are you at the level you thought you would be in your career and in, in life at this point? But are you making or, or do you have a best friend at work? That goes to show just how fundamentally important it is for us to have a sense of community. So, so that was a, a long answer, but just, just those are four examples of, you know, when you ask what does meaning at work, you know, mean, it's individual. Meaning starts with me for a reason. And there's many ways that you can bring it to life. It's not an ethereal thing that sounds nice but can't be achieved in practice. There are very tangible and practical, practical ways to bring meaning to work. And, I, and we're going to get into that in a minute. And you've, uh, you know, I've been sort of making little notes to myself. You've said so many um, things that have sparked all kinds of thoughts as you're talking. First of all, it's, it really comes down to in life – we all just want to matter, right? We all want to know and feel that we matter. I mean, I think that's essential to being a human being um, equally in our personal lives as in our work life. And it's interesting, the last piece that you said about, um, you know, having a best friend at work, you know, we joke about this whole notion of the, the office spouse and people joke about it, but, <laughs> but it's true that it really does make a difference. And I think many of us can relate to that in our personal experience, that it does make a difference when you feel that there's a connection um, and again it's about feeling that you matter um, in the workplace now I have some questions for you Scott on what you just said <laughs> so one, sure. of the, one of the things you spoke about um, was really feeling that you're doing work that truly matters now I want to know what that means because, you know, there are many of us who perhaps have fairly, you know, routine, menial jobs, 
Um, does it mean that we need to all be sort of, you know, having a garage sale, giving away our worldly possessions and going to build wells for clean water in Africa so that we are doing work that matters? I mean, can you define that a little bit more? <laughs> that's a great, that's really a, a great point. And, you know, some, sometimes people assume that finding meaning at work is, is a matter of privilege. That, yes, if I'm a doctor, if I'm a nurse, if I'm a school teacher or a fireman or a policeman, I get it. I can find meaning at work. I, I get it. But I can't because I'm just a blank. And, you know, Maya, the, the research just doesn't support that as being true. I'll, I'll tell you a, a few stories to help uh, make that point. I met, uh, I was at a children's museum in uh, Columbus, Ohio with my daughter. And uh, we were having a, a wonderful, just a wonderful time. And we came across a janitor in the hallway who was whistling up a storm, smiling <laughs> and laughing. And uh, he would uh, hide behind some of the exhibits and jump out and try to uh, scare some of the parents to make the little kids laugh. Uh, <laughs> you knew he was a janitor because he was in full-on janitor kind of regalia, you know, like kind of those jumpsuit type things they wear sometimes with a little name badge. Um, and uh, he he had a, a, a broom and some, like, handyman implements with him. So there's no doubt that he was a janitor slash serviceman. And, uh, you know, I just – I saw him three or four times throughout the day. Sometimes he was busily doing the core of his work. I saw him replacing a light bulb. I saw him fixing a, a sink on one display at one point. And then many other times I saw him interacting with the people, just having a great time, making everybody laugh. About the sixth time I saw him throughout the day, I, I, I had to talk to him. And so I went up to him, and uh, his name was uh, Calvin. And I said, listen, Calvin, I, um, nice to meet you. You know, I talked a little bit about who I am and, you know, what I do, what I study. And I said, I'm so interested in watching you do your thing. Um, what, what makes you tick? You seem incredibly happy doing what you're doing. And he said, you know, hey, look, Scott, I know that the job of a janitor has a stigma to it. And, and I get that. So let me show you something. And he pulls out a little card, a little uh, index size card almost out of his wallet, um, a little bit bigger than a regular business card. And he handed it to me and it blew me away. And on that card it said, my purpose in work and life is to make the menial magical. <laughs> and I, I looked at him and I said, this is fantastic. What, what do you mean by that? He said, I know my job has a stigma. I can choose to treat it as such or – I can choose to look at it differently. I can choose to make all the other janitors and service workers, at least in this building, at least in this children's museum, view their job differently. And maybe I can uh, help people have just a little bit of a smile. And he turned over his hand and he showed me a tattoo he had on the back of his hand that had the number 10,000 inscribed on it. And he said uh, that stood for, um, he's, he's going for 10,000 laughs. He wants to make 10,000 children <laughs> smile or laugh. And Maya, he records them after every one he gets. And when he told me that, I now I remember him. I do remember him making a little note in this tiny little notebook that he had. And he showed it to me. He, just, he was just making hash marks. That's it. Just hash marks. Every time someone laughed, he'd hash mark it. And he's going for 10,000 laughs. And he reframed the entire way I think about work. And believe me, Maya, I've talked to many people. I've uh, been in a, in a uh, given a keynote to um, 
more than a thousand people before where I'll do a Q and a, um, which is tough sledding by the way, when you have 2000 people in a room, but, uh, and I, I've had, you know, somebody asked me, okay, I hear you, but my mom is a parking lot attendant. Discuss. And, you know, I, I tell the story of the janitor. Um, I tell that, you know, there's research that has been done across two levels of hospitals, uh, two tiers of hospitals, hospitals that score in the absolute top rung for patient satisfaction and ones that are kind of the also rounds. And when you dig into it, the, the, the hospitals that score on the top rung, it's fascinating. One of the key indicators is how the, uh, the janitors view their jobs within the, uh, the top rated hospitals, the ones that are in the top tier will answer the question, you know, what do you think about your work? What do you do? They view them as being part of an integrated healthcare system. They're just as important in keeping a clean, healthy environment for the patients as the nurses are. And the ones in the lower tier that are janitors view their job as I clean trash. I pick up trash. One of the uh, most meaningful jobs out there uh, is not doctor, not lawyer, not police officer, it's a zookeeper. Hmm. Zookeepers clean up animal poop a lot. They work incredibly long hours, almost by definition, Maya. There's not a lot of promotion opportunities if you work at a zoo, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. There's one zookeeper, head zookeeper, that's it. Not a lot of promotion opportunities. They don't make much money at all. Yet they're one of the most meaning-rich-filled jobs because they will tell you, and I've interviewed them, believe me, I know, and there's been re- a whole research pool done just in the field of zookeeping. They know that if they don't take care of these animals, who will? Who will? And they've reframed an industry that others would, would, would frown upon. And I, I come across story after story. I'll tell you one more. Um, there's a kid by the name of Sean Aiken who uh, did a, a project called the One Week Job Project. He graduated from college, and he didn't know what he wanted to do with his life. So he decided to do 52 different jobs in 52 different weeks to try to figure out what's important to him. He decided <laughs> he was going to donate, uh, you know, which sounds like a great, um, great thing to be able to do and pretty cool for a college kid. He decided that he was going to donate the proceeds for every single week of work to a charity. So he got quite a bit of public relations coverage. A lot of press picked up on it, right? So he created this job site called One Week Jobs, and he had no shortage of suitors. I mean, this kid was a radio DJ in New York. He was a park <laughs> ranger in Hawaii for a week. He tried. He was a fashion buyer for, for a week in New York City. He was an <laughs> NHL mascot. I don't know if he was a, a Montreal Canadiens mascot. I don't know, but I know he was an NHL, NHL mascot. Um, and what he learned over doing, you know, 52 jobs across 52 different weeks is that it didn't matter the kind of job that you did because he recorded uh, conversations with everybody that he had across 52 different jobs, and he found that the people that were the happiest were the ones that had found meaning in their life. And when they could, it changed, and this is the key, it changed their relationship with their job. So anybody who says, I'm just a parking lot attendant, I can't be – I can't find meaning. My answer is, if you're in a position in life where you have to stay a parking lot attendant, because that's, you just have to, that's your life condition, it is a choice for you to be able to change your relationship with your job. He described um, one of his jobs was working alongside a dairy farmer for a week, and 
he's three days into um, literally like shoveling cow manure next to the dairy farmer every morning and dairy farmer just happy as a clam. And he turns to the dairy farmer on the third day and says, how do you do it? Uh, you seem so happy. I mean, we're literally shoveling cow manure. I, I'm in awe and admiration. And the dairy farmer told him, you know, said, you got it all wrong. Yeah. You have it all wrong. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is providing a source of much needed protein for the world. And it <laughs> frame Sean's entire outlook on the world. And so I say baloney to people that say that they can't find uh, meaning in, in what they do. And now, by the way, there is an exception to this, Maya. For those people that are truly in a job that it's abusive, um, mm-hmm. truly in a job where they want to gouge their eyes out and they simply cannot find a way to, re- to change the relationship with their job, that, of course, that is going to happen. Those are the times where, you know, you, you start to look for other jobs. But when people say, you know, I need to find meaning in my work, that doesn't mean you have to quit your job and go on this incredible hunt to find the perfect job. You can often find meaning in the, in the very work that you're doing. And, and thank you so much for clarifying that. And I, and I know that you are right. Um, it's interesting, as you were talking, it made me think uh, I had the privilege not so long ago of managing a team of patient care attendants whose job is so hard. I mean, I challenge anyone to do this work. It, it's essentially all about, you know, cleaning bodily fluids. Um, it is a rough, rough job. And they were the most positive and dynamic team of individuals, decent, caring human beings um, who, as you say, saw, understood their role in the care of other people and the impact that it had. And it brings me back to what you said earlier. They were very connected to each other. They felt they were feeling part of a team. Um, This value of teamwork in that culture was very, very high, which I think also made a difference. Um, And I like what you say about how finding meaning at work can really change your relationship with work. Because I was about to ask you, well, what about people who say, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, it's just a job. I I want the paycheck. I need to pay my bills and I'm doing it for the money and I enjoy the rest of my life. Um, I think that maybe is true to an extent, but they could, I think what you're saying is, change their relationship to work so that they could actually feel even more satisfaction or fulfillment. Is that fair to say? That's, that's exactly right, Maya. And I know it sounds easy for me to say that and for any you know, <laughs> listeners that are like, okay, I hear you, Scott, but you're not, you're not <laughs> listening to me. Like, did you not hear that I'm a parking lot attendant? For, I keep using that example because I've, I've talked, I've interviewed parking lot attendants. That's the only reason I'm using an example. So I, I do understand that. And there are cases where you have to get out of those scenarios. That, 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 is, that is true. But you touched on something else that's really, really important here, Maya, where you, you, talk, you, you really talked about servitude. And, you know, the, this is just a fundamental truth in life, that people don't remember us for what we do for ourselves. Not really. Right? They remember us for what we do for them. And, you know, and I once heard a lovely proverb many years ago that stuck with me that if you live your life with intention of servitude, you never really die and leave this planet. You just break up into a thousand pieces and you live on in the hearts and minds Mm -hmm. of those whose lives you touched along the way. 
And if you keep that, that thought close to your heart and you live a life of servitude, most often the way even in the toughest of scenarios where people are stuck in jobs that they hate, when you look through the lens of who can I serve in this job, it, that is often the key that unlocks and changes the relationship. It's what makes parking lot attendants say, you know what? I'm going to put an unexpected smile on every single person I meet for the next 24 hours. It, what's, it's what makes janitors at children's museums say, I want to record 10,000 children's laughs. It's what makes those uh, folks that you were talking about that have to clean bodily fluids approach life differently, I am sure, are part of what's changing their perspective and their relationship with work is they know they're providing an incredible service to other human beings. So that is often one of the richest veins that we can tap into to find meaning. Who can I serve in this job? I love that. And you're right. Anybody can ask that question. Um, are there other, cause you know, I, I, I am convinced by what you say. You're very convincing, but how does somebody, you know, other than asking that question, how does somebody figure out, you know, what their purpose in their particular job might be? Where do you even start? I mean, I'm imagining as well, listeners listening and thinking, yeah, that's great, but I, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what my purpose is or what I can contribute or how I can leave, as you say, a legacy given, you know, what I think is my small piece in this workplace. What can someone concretely do? Great question. Boy, can I really help you here. Um, this is something <laughs> that I have been studying for 15 years. And I, what I can tell you is um, I'll share some of the, uh, the questions I talk about in, uh, in Make It Matter. I, I have been acid testing your exact question. The types of questions, you know, I call it an interview, I-N-N-E-R view, uh, where you, you just take a moment to be really reflective. And I've been testing these questions. Um, it's a short set over and over again to make sure, And you know, if one of them shows a weakness or a crack in the armor, I throw it out. So for 15 years, I've been honing some of these questions that I'll share with you and your listeners right now. To help find a purpose, yes, one of the key questions is who, who would you serve? Some of the other magical questions that I've encountered are, what are your superpowers? <laughs> and when I ask people that, they stop for a minute like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, there's something that you do probably better than any of your peers that you've been gifted with doing. What, what is your superpower that makes you this, the uh, superhero that you are? You can ask yourself, what are my values and my beliefs? I can't tell you how many people I've helped, Maya, where simply by reviewing their values and what they believe, they find truth in what's important to them. And, what, you know, what's interesting is so many people, they pursue the wrong question. When they try to find mm -hmm. meaning at work, they try to find what's the perfect job. Yeah. And that yeah. is fool's work. <laughs> because you might actually find it, but there's good odds that it will change. But what doesn't change, what tends not to change as often, are our core values our core beliefs, the core strengths that we've been given. So returning and asking yourself, what are your values and your beliefs is an incredibly important way to figure out, okay, well, if my value is X, but I'm doing Y at work, those two things are incongruent. I need to find work that lines up or reframe my current work that lines up in a way consistent with my values and my beliefs. Another uh, question that you can ask yourself is, you know, 
What part of you is simply not showing up at work? <laughs> part of what gives us meaning is bringing our whole self to work. I often find that people will tell me, you know, Scott, I'm a really passionate and funny person, and I don't feel like, I'm using this as an example, I don't feel like my sense of humor has a place in my work and in my job right now. And then we talk through, well, okay, what are the types of places that you could show your humor? Or how can you bring more humor into your work each and every day? That could help them uh, create a sense of purpose. You can ask yourself, what have been your happiest moments? And this is where deep reflection and introspection and truth you have to be brutal in the truth with yourself because what I find, Maya, is it's so difficult when I'm consulting people with this. They so quickly default to what they're supposed to say mm-hmm. about their careers, mm-hmm. what they're supposed to want. But when you really say, no, 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 I'm asking you, and I'll use this as an example. I was just uh, talking to a group of financial advisors, and uh, one of them asked if I could talk after the keynote. And, uh, you know, he was telling me, Look, man, I'm just not happy. And I'm like, well, wh- well, what do you want? He's like, well, I, w- I want to go to, you know, from a financial advisor, I guess, to be, um, there's, a, there's a term for, you know, like a, a manager, a manager of an office, a branch manager. And I said, boy, you didn't say that with a lot of conviction. He's like, <laughs> I know. That's what I'm supposed to want. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 no. Let's talk about your happiest moments. And um, it turns out that some of his happiest moments were when he was actually teaching others how to do the art of financial advisement. So he's not going to leave his job, but he's decided that um, uh, the the company that he works for is going to allow him to teach classes now um, four times a year to new hires uh, in their company on on the kind of the art and the science of financial advisement. And he's as happy as a lark because he was true with himself about what were his happiest moments at work. You can ask yourself, you know, what are the career misfires or the triumphs that you had what are those little clues that you're, not, that you're paying attention to about what, if you're honest with yourself, you're not that good at? Or if you're covering up, you're very good at. You just don't think about it and you take it for a, an assumption. Asking yourself that question can reveal, well, what are you on this planet to do? What, another question, what would other people say you were meant to do? Mm-hmm. Another question, what would co-workers miss if you said, I quit, I'm out of here? And then you went back and interviewed your coworkers. What would they say they missed more than anything about you? What deed in the world needs doing, in your opinion? Those are all questions that can unveil the purpose that you leave uh, behind on this planet and help you find more meaning in your work. And folks also, also ask me, well, you talk a lot about you know, legacy, Scott, that profound what? How do I know what I want my legacy to be? Well, it works in concert with purpose often. And, and a lot of times trying to find your legacy is about knowing, you know, if you knew you wouldn't fail, what would you try? Because legacy almost by default, Maya, means that we stretch. We try to do things that are profound. Uh, we try to produce incredible results for a variety of reasons, and that means it's going to be difficult. That means we're going to fail along the way. But if you can ask yourself, if you knew you wouldn't fail, what would you try? That can help unveil what your legacy could be. What can only you lead is another question that can help unveil your legacy. So I could go on and on and on. There are <laughs> so many rich questions um, I've been able to identify. It's just a matter of asking yourself those right introspective questions yeah. and stop the other questions that we tend to ask ourselves in the shower in the morning. Like, 
I wonder if my boss really likes me. I wonder if I'm <laughs> going to get promoted soon enough. I wonder how I'm doing relative to my peer group. I wonder if I'm making as much money as Susie, who works next to me. All natural questions, all natural questions, but not exactly introspective. So um, it's about questioning the questions you ask yourself, and I can guarantee you, you'll come across a question that can give clues towards the purpose and the legacy that you want to leave. Well, Scott, I mean, I'm giggling over here because I feel like you've been reading my diary or something. <laughs> and I will, cl- I will certainly be doing my own personal interview for the rest of the day. Um, and one of the things that, that really, really uh, hits home for me in what you say is letting go of this notion of, you know, asking the questions that we think we're supposed to be asking and pursuing these things that we think we're supposed to pursue rather than really being honest with ourselves and um, looking at what actually matters to us. And the flip side of that for me, you know, I am a manager and have been for quite some time. I, I feel as though in most workplaces, the culture as managers that we put in place and kind of build is often not so helpful in terms of coaching employees to ask the right questions, but we promote the idea that there are these set values that people should strive for. I mean, it's all about performance and, you know, if you're not performing high enough, that would lead to you having a, such and such a promotion. Then we look at why not and we try to fix that. And, and we forget to look at the individual um, and to, to sort of support them perhaps in a more helpful way in terms of them finding the meaning for them in our workplace. So do you have words of advice um, for managers out there in terms of what we can do to support our employees in asking perhaps those right questions or then helping them to move towards perhaps what they should be doing or what matters for them? Super question. Thanks for asking it. You know, Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> the first thing I would say uh, when I talk about this an awful lot, in fact, uh, the book, Make It Matter, it is written to managers of others. And I've had people ask me, well, does it apply to me if I'm just an employee? You know, it sure as heck does. But the language that I speak is all about helping managers understand that our job, there may be no more important job than helping employees find meaning at work. It's a competitive advantage and a compassionate advantage. And what I mean by that is, heck, you opened up with statistics that are all spot on about the impact that meaning can have for the business. And if I had three hours, I could walk you through all the data I have that shows the difference in performance between companies that are, have deeply engaged employees, com- companies rich in meaning, versus the ones that don't. And you can just imagine, I mean, the, the, the performance is night and day. Yes, that's part of it. But there's also the compassionate advantage of, isn't that our job as managers of others? Isn't that what we're really here? Wouldn't we rather have people working in a community rather than a corporation? And um, I guess my work is not for those that are, don't at least have enough enlightenment to realize that there's a bigger earth out there than just your own personal advancement. Okay, so if that's you, then I'm not for you. <laughs> And what I have to say is not for you. <laughs> However, if you're like the other 99% of us that want to make a difference in other people's lives, the thing I, I often to say to leaders is, this isn't the thing you get to after business is fixed. This is what fixes the business. 
Mm. This is what you start with, creating a, a meaning-rich culture that sustains motivation over time. And, and as managers get to understand the markers of meaning, there are seven of them. I, I gave you examples earlier, of, you know, working with purpose, working with legacy, uh, investing in personal learning and growth in others, granting autonomy. Um, there's, there's others uh, that you can do. As you get more familiar with that, you bake that into the way you manage and the way you lead. You can even do, um, I, I counsel companies to do an addition to the normal performance review. Most performance reviews go something like this. Somewhere around uh, a year apart, you walk into your boss's office or cubicle, the way it works these days, and uh, you sit down and you find out a, either, you know, a bunch of things that you had no idea you needed to work on because you hadn't been hearing any feedback along the way, or, um, <laughs> you, you know, you get some nice surprises, or you're the kind of person, if you're like me, you're uh, waiting for the other shoe to drop and you can't enjoy the nice things that you're, being, you're, be, you're hearing being said about you. You're waiting for that one thing that you could obsess over for the next six months. Sound familiar? That's how I'm built anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, now, one of the things you could add to your tool belt as a leader is what I call the M2 review. M2 stands for the two M's of make it matter. That's the name of my book. And in addition to the types of performance reviews that you have to conduct, where you walk through opportunities and strengths and 360-degree feedback and all, all of that good stuff, you simply ask questions. You review based on the markers of meaning and to find out how meaningful is your work for you right now. So you ask different questions. You ask things like, so how this past year, like, how many of the markers of meaning have we triggered for you? Have you found purpose in your work? What, what do you want your legacy to be in your job right now? And which, by the way, when I ask employees that, the usual response that I get to, wow, what do I want my legacy to be in my job right now? I usually get, that is a fantastic question, followed by, <laughs> no, I haven't thought of that yet. Yeah. Nobody yeah. ever asks me. No, no one ever says to me, <laughs> boy, that's a dumb question. They always say, wow, that's a really good question. So imagine if you could have that discussion with your employees of what do you want your legacy to be within this job that you're in right now? That's a very rich discussion. You can, you can talk to them about, you know, Hey, um, how, how are you on the learning curve right now? Do you feel you're being challenged? Are you learning and growing, which is in line with the markers of meaning of learning and, you know, personal growth? Uh, have you been granted enough autonomy? Do you feel like you're having enough influence? Uh, are you influencing enough decisions along the way? Do you feel appropriately rewarded, appreciated, valued? Do you feel like uh, you work in a community or do you feel like you work in a corporation? Uh, do you feel that you're connected with leadership? Do you feel like you're connected with their mission? Do you understand the purpose of the organization? Are there any corrosive behaviors holding you back here at work? I, and so forth. So there's a set of questions that are all about the underpinnings of what gives us meaning at work. Now, first of all, you'll just get credit for asking the questions. Second, oh, by the way, you'll have such a meaningful and profound discussion. I have had discussions that have gone on for two hours that ended in tears with people giving me confessions because I turned a performance review into a much more meaningful opportunity to really understand the person further, really check in with how they're doing it, life and work together and combined. And um, I've had so many people tell me that just having discussion and just being asked those questions meant so much to them. And your listeners out there can do the same thing if they have employees that work for them. 
such great advice. And I have two reactions. One is almost a profound sadness as I'm listening to you because I have never been asked, I think, any of those questions. My other reaction is I'm kind of excited to go to work tomorrow, Scott. (laughs) So I have to thank you for that because you have sort of fueled something in me. Um, I'm going to have to figure out how to actually use that. But uh, those are some interesting, interesting ideas. And I'm sure you're right that the reaction of employees is going to be exactly that. First, surprise that they're even being asked such questions, but also... um, gratitude for for having been asked such important questions as opposed to you know what how many sales did you make in the last three weeks Um, which is important of course but in a in a different way Um, Scott I'm wondering you know I have uh, I have a number of of children who are millennials and so I'm particularly interested in this whole new generation of people in the workforce um, and how they are how they are perhaps different than generations before or how perhaps we think they're different and maybe they're not that different. In your experience, is it true that millennials have sort of different expectations or understanding when it comes to needing a sense of meaning at work? It is. Absolutely true. And, you know, the interesting thing is so much research has been done on millennials now that what's happening of late is they're uncovering more and more um, about how millennials are actually not any different than any other change in generation before them. So a lot of myths have been debunked about millennials in the last two years. The one that holds true consistently, though, that no one's been able to debunk is the importance of meaning for millennials relative to any other generation that came before them. It explains why on average now millennials job hop um, between uh, two to three years. The concept of, and, and, and again, I'm talking on average now, of get with one company and stay with them for 40 years is almost a foreign thought uh, in many cases to, to many millennials. And a lot of it is because they, they have a hard time. And I'm not saying you can't, achieve a deep and meaningful life by staying with one company for 40 years. All I'm saying is that the, the presumption is, well, it's going to be a lot easier to jump around and uh, kind of experiment and do different things. And okay, that might be true for, for many, but what's invariably and undebunkably of that for a new word I just invented <laughs> true about, uh, about millennials is more than their prior generation. They need to find a sense of purpose for what they're doing. They demand, to be challenged, to learn, and to grow. And much is said, um, and I think it's unfair, uh, well, they, they, they call the millennial, you know, the trophy generation. Or they got a trophy for everything, and it creates all kinds of behaviors. And, you know, look, I, I don't know if that's true or, or, or not true. What I, what I do know is that the trophy generation, it's evolved into an appreciation for things that really matter in life, Mm-hmm. And my own theory is that receiving those trophies, they realize in retrospect weren't that meaningful and they hunger more for things that are. That's my own theory. I have zero mm-hmm. data to back that up. But I, I know it to, to be true that, um, you know, when I've given talks just to millennials or on the topic of millennials and meaning, there is no question. It's now an imperative if you're a manager because the millennials are about to be, um, well, in fact, they already are. They've now become, just by math, pure math, they're now the largest percentage in the workforce, and within another five years, you know, duh, of course, following math, they're going to be 80% of the workforce. So if you're a leader and you aren't embracing the truth, the fundamental truth 
that millennials are looking for something deeper than perks, promotions, and pay, then you're going to be in trouble. You're going to lose the, the talent more. I was hoping that that's what you were going to say, because my hope then is that millennials might push us and force us to change workplace culture, to embrace more these kinds of values that you've been sharing over the last hour. Um, and I think that perhaps this is a, a beginning of a bit of a shift um, in terms of what matters in the workplace. Uh, so that's really, really interesting. Scott, unfortunately, we are slowly running out of time. But I'm curious, uh, what's coming up next for you? Do you have any interesting projects uh, on the horizon? Oh, uh, well, thank you for asking. Oh, I continue to do um, keynote speaking. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to do. I get a chance to um, express this, uh, my thoughts in a visual form and in an engaging and entertaining form. So I'll, I'll continue to do uh, keynotes. For any listeners that are interested in learning more about um, my keynote ability and whether or not they might want to hire me for their own company, you can go to uh, scottmoutz.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-M-A-U-T-Z, as they say in Canada. <laughs> and uh, you'll learn about, um, I have four or five keynotes that, um, that address uh, topics of meaning, uh, the, uh, the art and science of coaching, um, the things that kind of break down uh, the next, uh, next piece, which is the book, Make It Matter. Um, you can also learn about my book at the, the website. Um, and, and I say humbly, it must turn out that some people think it's uh, worth something because it's been getting an awful lot of accolades. So it's called uh, Make It Matter, How Managers Can Motivate by Creating Meaning. And if you want to learn, you know, how in God's green earth did I write a book that got the uh, Leadership Book of the Year 2016 uh, first runner-up, you can find out by checking it out at scottmouts.com. Uh, and I also uh, write for Inc. Magazine. So if you uh, would like to follow, I, I cover topics that are probably not surprising about meaning in and at work, about success, leadership, um, you know, finding uh, the right way to build a great culture and to just be a winner at work and in life. You can follow me at uh, inc.com as well, as I now I write six times a month for them. So uh, thanks for the opportunity to ask. And uh, again, the website is scottmouse.com. Thank you, and I will make sure that we include that information in the notes for this show. And I do encourage you, listeners, to check out Scott's website uh, and, for sure, his book, Make It Matter, How Managers Can Motivate by Creating Meaning. This is important stuff. This is meaningful stuff and makes a difference to us as individuals as well to our workplaces. Scott, I want to thank you again. It has been such an honor to talk with you this morning and rest assured that I'm going to continue thinking about much of what you have said uh, throughout the next day and weeks. I am quite, quite sure. Well, I appreciate the chance to be here, Maya. I mean, this morning we've had moments, we've loved, we've laughed, <laughs> we've had conversation. We stayed true to your uh, genius show. Thank you for having me on, and I enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you. You take care and have a wonderful rest of the day. Okay. That was Scott Motes. Join us next week, same time, same place. Until then, I wanted to leave you with a little poem that I came across as I was thinking about this topic of meaning. It is written by Edgar Lee Masters. I have studied many times the marble which was chiseled for me, a boat with a furled sail at rest in a harbor. In truth, it pictures not my destination, but my life. For love was offered me, and I shrank from its disillusionment. 
Sorrow knocked at my door, but I was afraid. Ambition called to me, but I dreaded the chances. Yet all the while I hungered for meaning in my life. And now I know that we must lift the sail and catch the winds of destiny wherever they drive the boat. To put meaning in one's life may end in madness, but life without meaning is the torture of restlessness and vague desire. It is a boat longing for the sea and yet afraid. This is Maya. I am out. Day morning, still got my day job, but I feel so free. 